In this episode of 2000 Books, Bob Berg talks about the five laws of stratospheric success. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books. Every Monday and Wednesday, we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs, books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, personal development, and much, much more. And I am your host, Manny Vaya. Bob Berg is a leadership and sales speaker and the founder of the Go-Giver Sales Academy. He was named by the American Management Association as one of the top 30 most influential thought leaders in business for 2014. Bob's book, The Go-Giver, was a Wall Street Journal and Business Week bestseller and has sold over half a million copies. And that's the book we're talking about today. Bob, I'm really excited to have you on the show and talk about the five laws of stratospheric success. So welcome. Let's get it going. Oh, thank you, Manny. I appreciate that. Thank you. And for a lot of our listeners, this is something new because we always have nonfiction books here. It's either business or self-help books. They're all uh, nonfiction. So this is a fable. This is a parable in some ways. So mm-hmm. tell us, why should an ambitious entrepreneur read this book, listen to this book? Well, I think the business lessons involved will, because it is a, a business book, it is in the, the form, as you said, of a, a parable. So it is a fictional story co-authored with John David Mann, who is a, a fantastic writer and storyteller. I'm kind of more of a how-to person. Myself. I'm step one, step two, step three. John's a great storyteller, though, fortunately. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really for anyone who would like to have a business that's a lot more fun, uh, a lot less stressful, and absolutely a lot more profitable. So in a an hour, two-hour period of time, they can get some good ideas that they can apply right away. Absolutely. There are a lot of great ideas in it. And we're going to jump into them. But before we do that, tell us your business story, Bob. We want to get to know you. What was the story and what led you to writing this book? Well, I began as a uh, broadcaster, first in radio and then in television. I was not a particularly good newscaster. I was very young and really was not a journalist. Uh, I probably would have made a decent game show host, but that wasn't (laughs) an option in the market I was in at the time. So I quickly graduated into sales, but also just as quickly realized I had no idea how to sell. And so I floundered for a while until I came across some books on the topic. I didn't even know there were such books on the topic. You know, this is back in the mid 80s. Yeah, mid 80s. And I remember coming across books by Tom Hopkins and Zig Ziglar and those making such a huge difference. I began studying them, and in a very short period of time, my sales began to go through the roof. I was very productive. And the interesting thing about that, in my opinion, is that the biggest difference between where I was right before I got those books and where I was after a relatively short period of time was simply having a system, having a methodology, and applying it, of course, because you can have all the knowledge, but without applying it, it's not going to do any good. But really, it's having a system. And I think that's so important for any entrepreneur. I define a system as simply the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. In other words, the key is predictability. If it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired results of B, then you know that all you need to do is A and continue to do A, and eventually you're going to get the desired results of B. And that was that was big for me to learn. That was a game changer for me because I realized that I could pretty much take anything I didn't know how to do. And if I was willing to learn the system and apply it persistently, then I'd be able to do it. And I, I began to make a real study of sales. And, of course, along with sales, 
specific books. You begin to read a lot on personal development through all of the other classic books. And it became really just a lifestyle for me. And I love sales, love doing it, teaching it, ended up being a sales manager of a company and then teaching others how to do what was working for me and eventually began speaking on it. My first book, which came out in the early 90s or the mid 90s, was Endless Referrals, which was a how-to book on how to create those win-win relationships, develop those know, like, and trust relationships. And it did well. But at the end of 2007, actually early 2008, when it hit the bookstores, John David Mann's and my book, The Go-Giver, came out. And that was really because I thought it might be a good idea to take the how-to principles in endless referrals and, with John's help, put them into a, a story. Uh, because as we know, uh, you and I both know that stories connect with people very mm-hmm. effectively, very emotionally. And so that was really how that book came about. That is great. And since that book, I mean, this book has done tremendously. And I want to congratulate you. It's been a great success. Thank you. And uh, since then, you've been on to a lot of other stuff as well. So podcast, uh, sales training, all that stuff, right? <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah, you know, it's been a lot of fun. We've had a few books now within the Go-Giver brand, if you will, the Go-Giver, then Go-Giver Sell More, which is a bit more of an application-based book. And then uh, the last one was the Go-Giver Leader. And now we have the Go-Giver Sales Academy, uh, which is an in-person live workshop. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And, I, of course, I still do a lot of speaking at conferences and conventions. But as I get older, I want to get off the road more and be home more. So (laughs) (laughs) we enjoy some of the, you know, my business partner and dear friend, Kathy Tajanel. You know, I always surround myself with people. I seem to partner with people who are better than I am in most areas. You know, John David Mann's a, a great writer. So he's my writing partner. Kathy Tajanel is my business partner, and she has such a great business mind. And Kathy and I are doing these Go-Giver Sales Academies in Orlando, which is just a couple of hours from my home. So I really love those because I don't have to get in an airplane to do those. Nice, nice. And now I want to get into the book. There's so much good stuff here. And the first law, of the, uh, as you talk about in the book, the law of value, which is our true worth is determined by how much more we give in value than we take in payment. Now, as an early entrepreneur, as an early stage entrepreneur, sometimes that's tough to actually do or even comprehend because you're struggling and you're struggling to make ends meet and you're thinking, well, how do I make this a reality in the business? Yeah, well, we simply have to know, and and that's a great point, uh, Manny. What, What we need to know, what we need to understand is the difference between price and value. And once we know that, then it makes perfect sense. Uh, price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It simply is what it is. Value is different. Value is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, What is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea that brings so much worth to someone that they will willingly exchange their money for it? Uh, And we say willingly because that's the embodiment of a free market-based exchange. No one's forced to do business with anyone else. They, They both do so because they both expect to benefit. So what is it about that product that would cause someone to do that and feel great about it while you make a very healthy profit? So we can take the idea, let's say someone has a a bookkeeping service that they sell. Let's say you hire this person, this bookkeeping service, they're going to do your taxes. And they charge you, uh, we'll just name a round figure, $1,000. That's their, their fee or literally their price. Now, what's the value they give you that makes it so worthwhile for you? 
well, we know that they save you, let's say, $5,000 in your taxes, right, that you mm-hmm. won't have to pay, that you would have without their expertise. They save you countless hours of time, and they provide you with the security and the peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly. So, again, we see right here that while price is finite, value can be both concrete in terms of that $5,000 savings, right? That's pretty easy to get our arms around. But also, it's conceptual in terms of the security and the peace of mind. So what this bookkeeper did, this owner of the bookkeeping service, what they did is they gave you well over $5,000 in value in exchange for a $1,000 price. So they feel great about it. So, excuse me, you feel great about it, right? You got a lot more in value than what you paid for, but they also made a very healthy profit because it's well worth it to them to charge $1,000 for that service. So this entrepreneur has given you a fantastic feeling of understanding how much you receive from them And they made a very healthy profit. So that's exactly what they want to do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. This is great because there's so many ways we can apply this principle in our businesses. It's never truly about the fact that, oh, it is so costly. My service is so costly or my product is so costly. What really matters is how much value it creates for the other person. Exactly. That's exactly it. And that's why we want people that are charging a healthy fee because we want you making a healthy profit. Go givers make a healthy profit because they're focused on creating and communicating value rather than trying to sell on low price. See, when you, unless your last name is Walmart, okay, selling on low price, trying to make low price your unique selling proposition is not a productive way to do business. When you sell on price, you're a commodity. When you sell on value, you're a resource, And that's what we want you selling on. We want you to be profitable so long as you're giving much, much more in use value than what you're paying. And that's what it means when we say give more in value than you take in payment. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, I mean, there's so many different ways. There's so many creative ways we can do that to create more value than we take in payment. So definitely something that our listeners need to go and explore and learn more about. Another thing you said that was really interesting, uh, which uh, I had to stop and think about quite a bit was, in life, you don't get what you want, you get what you expect. And it's something that someone who's listening or reading for the first time might think, well, It's almost the same thing, but it's not. No, no, because we can want anything. I mean, we can want a great business. You know, we can want a very healthy business, but that doesn't mean we expect to get that. Okay. We may not really expect to get that, you know, and that's why if someone hasn't learned what they need to learn, if they haven't learned to be persistent, if they haven't learned how to take care of a client, how to add value, they may, you know, we can want anything. I mean, as human beings, we want a lot, right? But we don't necessarily expect what we don't believe we deserve. And so it's very important to be prepared. It's very important to do the work. It's very important to do the things you need to do. It's very important to focus on how you can create value for others. When you do that, then you do expect to prosper, and then you will. Yeah, I think you said that's something crucial there. We expect what we believe we can get. And that's the distinction there. The belief of what we can get is so critical. Oh, right. Our unconscious will never allow us to accomplish more than what our belief system says we should. (laughs) And I certainly didn't make that up. That's a teaching of the masters. Now, let's talk about the second law, the law of compensation, as you said, Mm -hmm. which is that our income is 
is determined by how many people we serve and also how well we serve them, right? Right. So where law number one says to give more in value or use value than what you take in payment, law number, law number two tells us that the more people whose lives we add this exceptional value to, the more money with which we'll be rewarded. So as Nicole, the uh, CEO in the story, told Joe, the protege, law number one, the law of value represents your potential income. But just providing great value to one person is not going to <laughs> help you make a lot of money. Law number two takes it a step further and says it's also the number of lives you impact with that value. So that's why it's important not only to create value and communicate value, but to make sure we're able to scale that and provide that value to a lot of people. And when I think in terms of entrepreneurship, sometimes it kind of translates to being able to market your services in the sense, be able to get the word out rather than just keep that secret thing or not the secret thing, but just be able to add value to a certain number of people. It's when we are able to share with more people, which usually means when we are able to market well is when we're able to get that. Sure. And that's why referrals are so important too. referrals and introductions, because with referred prospects, it's easier to set the appointment because you're going in on borrowed influence. Price is less of an issue. That doesn't mean it's a non-issue, but it's less of an issue, again, because of that borrowed influence. So you can sell on high value rather than low price. With, uh, with referred prospects, it's easier to complete the transaction or close the sale because of borrowed trust or what we call vicarious experience. This new prospective customer hasn't done business with you personally, but because someone who they know, like, and trust has referred you and given you the thumbs up, they're much more likely to do business with you. And another great benefit of a referred prospect is that with referred prospects, they're typically already of the mindset that that's how you do business because that's how they met you. So in their view of the world, you meet people through referrals. You sell on high value rather than low price. You complete the sale. And you are then referred to others. So the process is a lot more natural. Yeah. So the referral thing is so crucial. I mean, uh, it's almost like it's not just referral. It's beyond referrals. You're building the relationships over and over again through your life in order to make this happen again and again and again. Sure. Oh, yeah. It's ongoing. It's you know a way of life and it's a way of doing business. It's not a, a sometime thing. I think you talked about somewhere in the book and you said you give because you love to and it's not necessarily a strategy. It's just the way you live your life. <laughs> right. Exactly. And when you do that, you end up having people in your life who become what we call your personal walking ambassadors. And when you've got people like that, now your business is a lot more fun. It is a lot less stressful and it really is a whole lot more profitable. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I was having a conversation with a friend, someone knew I was introduced to and he's an up and coming coach. And I said, well, you should go and create some online videos. Uh, you should create some videos on YouTube, teach what you are doing and people will learn and they'll come to you and he's like well maybe i'll just go the path of advertisement and be able to find clients that way i was like no 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 you got to do what you're gonna love if you can't love teaching and if you are not really enjoying that process of putting yourself in front of people it's not really effective because you have to do what you love to do i mean you have to love that coaching business in order to be able to make it work yeah well if he is going to be a successful coach you'd, you'd certainly hope he likes coaching and likes teaching. So before we carry on with the interview, I have an important question for you. Do you consistently take action on the books you read? 
because a lot of research has now proven that there is really no learning without action. So if you're not taking action on what you're reading, here's a simple fix for you. Head on over to 2000books.com summary and download 10-minute action guides of the 10 greatest books for entrepreneurs. And they're all for free. From age-old classics like Think and Grow Rich to modern-day bestsellers like The Lean Startup, we have some of the greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs there. So head on over to 2000books.com slash summary and download these free 10-minute action guides. Or you can even text the word summary to 44222 and get these action guides. Okay, now back to the interview. Okay, so let's move on to the third law. It's the law of influence. And I think you word those things much better than I do, but I'll just say it. Your influence is determined by how abundantly we place other people's interests before ours, right? Yeah, well, and it's interesting because at first that sounds counterintuitive, but when you think about it, the greatest leaders, the top influencers, the most profitable salespeople and entrepreneurs, that's simply how they run their lives and conduct their businesses. They're always looking for ways to bring value to others. They're always looking for ways to make life better for the other person. They're always looking for ways to, as we say, place other people's interests first. Now, when we say this, and let me qualify this, when we say place other people's interests first, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to be anyone's doormat. It doesn't mean you're a martyr. It doesn't mean you're self-sacrificial. It simply means you understand what Joe the protege learned from several of the uh, mentors in the story who told him that the golden rule of business is simply that all things being equal People will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you from others than by genuinely and authentically moving from what we call an I focus or me focus to an other focus. You know, the key is to take Sam's advice. He was one of the mentors in the story. To Joe, it's really about uh, making your win all about the other person's win. And, you know, here's what it really comes down to. And I, whenever I speak at a sales conference, I'll often say this, that, you know, nobody is going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. (laughs) They're not going to buy from you because you need the money or because you really want to make the sale. They're not going to buy from you because you're a really nice person who believes in your product. They're not going to buy from you for any of those reasons, nor should they. They're going to buy from you only because they believe that they are better off by doing so than by not doing so. And for that to happen, to communicate that kind of value, you've got to be focused on their best interest. Because if your focus is on the commission, if your focus is on the money, if you're putting your interest before theirs, they are going to get that right on some level, whether consciously or unconsciously. But when you are totally, absolutely, and unabridgedly focused on them and bringing value to them, they also understand that. There's a big difference between the salesperson who thinks that sales is about convincing someone to buy something and the person who understands that the true definition of selling is discovering what the other person does want, need, desire, and helping them to get it. And when you approach sales that way, now you're a lot more effective. This is why John David Mann, my co-author, and I often say that money is simply an echo of value. It's the uh, 
thunder, if you will, to values lightning. In other words, the value must come first and you must genuinely be focusing on that other person and their interest. And when that happens, the value is understood and the money you receive is simply a very natural and direct result of the value you've provided. There's so many nuggets of wisdom there. And one of the things, I guess, uh, sometimes we think that influence is all about being able to convince the other side, being able to tell the other side what to do, how to do, all that stuff. But I could, you know, as I was reading the book and as I was thinking about it, one of the things that struck out was a line that I read in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I I bet you have read that book, right? Oh, I love that book. One of my all-time favorites. (laughs) Yeah, he said, in order to influence, we must be influenced by the other person. And that is exactly what you guys are talking about here. And that's what uh, the guy Joe did for his wife in the story. Uh, that's right. That's right. He put his focus on on her and he wanted to be influenced by her, but influenced as to how he could help her, how he could serve her, how he could be of service to her. Yeah. And, uh, you know, while we certainly don't love our customers in the same way that we love our family, we still need to love our customers <laughs> and and really want to serve them, want to be of service to them. And that is that that is how you begin the influencing process. Influence is not about push. It's not about pushing our mm-hmm. ideas on others. It's not about being pushy. Influence really is pull. It's an attraction. Great influencers attract other people to us and then to our ideas. You know, you never hear someone say, wow, that Patty, she is so influential. She has a lot of push with people, right? It's she has a lot of pull with people because that's what influence is. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, now let's talk about the fourth law, which you say is to be authentic or the law of authenticity, which is the most valuable gift we have to offer is the gift of yourself, the gift of ourselves. Yeah. Talk to us about it. This one is a little complicated to understand, so I want to get into it. Well, Deborah Davenport, one of the mentors in the story, she shared a very important lesson that she had learned, and that is that all the skills, the uh, sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and, and indeed, they are all very, very important, they're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true, authentic core. Now, when you do, when you, as we like to say, show up as yourself day after day, week after week, month after month, well, people feel good about you. People feel comfortable with you. They know you. They like you. They trust you. They're much more likely to want to be in business relationship with you. So the question is, so why do people sometimes show up as less than authentically? And the main reason I believe is because people don't necessarily have the self-confidence to show up authentically. And what do I mean by this? Well, you know, sometimes, and it's because we're human and because we're too emotionally involved with ourselves, we don't understand the true value that we bring to the table. See, I believe as human beings, we have two types of value. We have intrinsic value just by being here, just by being a human being, we have value we bring to the table. But we also have what I call market value. And I define market value as that combination of strengths, traits, talents, and characteristics that allow a person to bring value to others, to the marketplace, in such a way that they will be financially rewarded for it. But again, let's go back to the human factor here. We're so 
emotionally involved with ourselves that we may not realize that we are or we have something really special. Let me give you an example. Uh, and I can think of a time where I was where I was mentoring someone uh, informally, and I was asking them some of the things they were doing, and, and he happened to tell me one particular thing, and I said, that is great. That is a fantastic skill. And he said, oh, no, no, everyone can do that. Everyone does that. And I said, no, not everyone does that. Mm-hmm. And it's not that he was being falsely modest, okay? He really didn't get that. Not everyone could do that. Very few people could do this particular skill. Why? Well, because we all live in our own bubble. We all live in our own world. We see the the world from our own unique viewpoint, our own belief system. And often what either comes easy to us or even something that we've worked hard to do, it gets to the point where it becomes so natural to us that we don't understand the value for it that it brings. We don't understand why we should charge a higher price for that because it is a skill that other people don't have. This is just one example. But what I'm saying is that in order to communicate ourselves authentically and communicate our authentic value, we've got to have a level of confidence in doing so. We've got to realize the value we bring to the table. So, you know, whether we do this through self-study or whether we do this through a formal coach or an informal mentor or, or whatever, it doesn't matter. But it's understanding your strengths. Now, we also have to understand our weaknesses, too. That's also very important. You know, some weaknesses we can ignore, some because it's not a big deal. Some weaknesses we've got to mitigate and other weaknesses we've got to actually turn into strengths if we're going to be effective. And that's fine. We need to understand that. But we lead with our strengths. And leading with our strength is what allows us to show up authentically and show up effectively. Yeah, there's so many nuggets of wisdom in what you just talked about here. First, the idea of strengths, of course, and leading with our strengths and being able to really stand true to them and stay true to them and use them in our lives. But also the fact that in life, a lot of the times, ever since we're young, we're being forced to this word that I learned from Paul Getty from his biography. He said, we're being forced to become homogenized. We're all being forced to become like everyone else. And hence our individuality gets lost in the process. But what you're saying, what you know, what you talk about, which is the most valuable gift we have to offer is to be truly ourselves in the moment rather than try to be someone else rather than try to be like someone else to be another person in that moment because we think we're going to end up impressing the other person oh that's that's a great point yeah we can learn from everyone you know we we learn from all others but we need to make sure we adapt other people's wisdom but we don't try to adopt their personality so i like to say adapt don't adopt learn from everyone but stay true to your authentic core yeah the staying true to your thing being able to stay Stay true to our authentic core is probably one of the hardest jobs we have because we can so easily get swayed by society. And sometimes we don't even know. Sometimes we're not even aware of where our true authentic selves lie lie, and we're just following the ways of society in some ways. Yeah, well, that's a a great point. Uh, Conscious awareness is, is so very important. All right. And the fifth law you said is... It's almost paradoxical. (laughs) The title of the book is The Go-Giver, but at the same time, we have to be receptive. We have to be receptive to receiving, right? Sure. That's why the law number five, the law of receptivity, says the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. Late in the story, the mentor, Pindar, 
uh, asks Joe, the protege, to breathe out and hold that outgoing breath to the count of 30, which is a lot more difficult than it seems. Mm -hmm. And within about 10 seconds, Joe was struggling for air. He was gasping for breath. And Pindar said, what's the matter? Joe can't do it. And Joe says, well, I I can't just breathe out. I've got to breathe in as well. And uh, Pindar said, well, and he jokingly said, well, what if I was to tell you, Joe, that it's been medically proven that it's actually healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in. And Joe just laughed because, of course, that's silly. You can't just breathe out. You've also got to breathe in. Uh, The tide doesn't just go out. The tide also comes in. That's life. It's give and receive, give and receive. So we breathe out carbon dioxide, which is giving. We breathe in oxygen, which is receiving. Giving and receiving are simply two sides of the very same coin. Now, that's not what society tells us. We get so many negative messages about money. Often with many people, it's growing up. It's a combination of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, popular culture, cultural mores. We hear these messages, oh, if you're wealthy, you did it on the backs of others or, you know, you did something wrong or blah, 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 what have you. Um, Well, there's lots of different people in the world and and people do things in in, – Bad ways, but no, most people, especially the more free market based an economy is, because remember, in a truly free market economy, no one is forced to buy from you. So the only way you can make a lot of money is by providing exceptional value to the lives of lots of other people. Mm -hmm. And so, and it turns out that most people who make a lot of money do it by providing value to others. But here's the thing. You know, it's not just a matter of giving. That's important, and that's where it starts. But it's all for naught if you're not willing and able to allow yourself to receive in like measure. So the question isn't, am I a giver or a receiver? It's, you're a giver and a receiver. Now, your focus is on the giving. That's where it starts. Just like with a fireplace. You don't go to the fireplace and say, okay, first you give me some fire, and then I'll throw on some logs and some paper and light a match, right? You don't go to the bank and say, first you give me an interest payment, and then I'll, I'll deposit some money. No, that's not how life works. You sow before you reap. And it's the same with giving and receiving. You focus on the giving of value. You focus on the giving, and then you allow the receiving. Now, as I listen to this and as we're talking about this, the question that I have in my mind is all of us want to receive. All of us enjoy receiving. So what is the challenge here? Why is it tough? Or what is missing in that part about receiving? Isn't it obvious that we all just, yeah, we enjoy receiving? Yeah, well, because a lot of it is in the unconscious. The messages that are received about money and pro- and abundance and prosperity, you know, again, if you, you know, I always I uh, look at a, a movie that, um one of my favorite movies is um, It's a Wonderful Life, which is usually on around the holiday season. And it often plays 20, 25 times. <laughs> and, and, and people grow up watching that movie. It was you know back in the 30s or the 40s, whatever. And uh, it's a wonderful movie. But it has a lot of messages of lack in it. You know, you've got the townspeople who are all poor and struggling. They're good people, but they're poor. And they're, you know, and you've got... Um, uh, Jimmy Stewart's character, uh, George Bailey, who's sort of self-sacrificial. He was gonna, he was gonna tr- go out on his own and build skyscrapers, and you know, but instead he sort of sacrifices himself to stay and take care of all the hapless people of Bedford Falls. And then you've got the the wealthy, greedy capitalist banker, Mister Potter, who's gonna take advantage of everyone, right? The 
capitalist who's evil, right? That's the message through that movie. Now, that movie is repeated often. I mean, in just about every other movie. Notice there are usually two types of people. There are the, 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 the good people who are usually portrayed as poor but happy. And there are the wealthy people, the rich people who are usually portrayed as cruel and heartless and they have no soul, right? And people grow up watching these movies. And this is also the message that society gives us, not because there's any kind of conspiracy theory out there to keep us broke in our mind. It just is. It's what sells. And people take it in. And there's all sorts of there's jealousy and there's the, you know, and there's all the different things that. But what happens is it messes with people's heads. And if on an unconscious level, you believe that in order to become wealthy, you must act inappropriately or do something wrong, then your unconscious, your belief system is never going to allow you to receive in full measure. So that's why I think it's very important to study those people who teach prosperity and who live prosperity. Uh, I read Randy Gage's prosperity blog, uh, you know, every week when it comes out, I, I tune in, I subscribe to his prosperity TV show on YouTube. Uh, whenever a book comes out about prosperity, I pick it up and I read it and because I, we need to keep, you know, we, we, by, by the very nature of life, we're always hearing about the the lack thinking. We're always hearing about how bad things are and how bad money is and how this and that, right? So we need to consciously fill our minds with the good thoughts on prosperity. Wow. This is so much, so much great knowledge. Uh, so much great knowledge. So many great insights here, Bob. So I want to thank you for all this amazing insight. And before you go, though, tell our listeners of, about all the new stuff you're doing, where to find your books, where to find all your good stuff. Oh, sure. Uh, they're welcome to visit thegogiver.com, and that's without the hyphen, thegogiver.com. And while they're there, they can subscribe to my podcast if they'd like. They can check out my books and get a free chapter uh, and an excerpt so they can see if they like the book first before they uh, click through. Uh, they can also check out our uh, Go Giver Sales Academy, the live workshop, and we're now introducing an online version of the Go Giver Sales Academy as well. So there's lots of goodies there, and they can, of course, connect with me all over social media. Absolutely. That's how I connected with you. So, Bob, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I love the work you're doing. So I'm going to do an interesting experiment over the next few weeks, and I would love for you to participate. It's all free. As ambitious entrepreneurs, one thing is for sure. It takes lots and lots and lots of hard work in order to build a real business from the ground up and make it succeed. So in order to keep myself accountable and to work even harder, I have decided to share my weekly work hours with you on my website. I feel that just the act of sharing the extent of my hard work with you motivates me and makes me want to work even harder. So you can head on over to 2000books.com slash work and check out how many hours I worked last week. I break down the hours by the different areas of focus like content, marketing, and sales, operations, collaborations, finance, and of course, the role of CEO. I'd love to hear how many hours you worked on your business last week. So make sure to leave that in the comments as well. I really hope that sharing your work hours with others will also motivate you to work even harder. So I look forward to seeing you on 2000books.com slash work. All right, until then, my friends. 